It's Monday Pun Day. So one time, I ordered a universal remote control off the internet. When it arrived, I opened it up, gazed at it in wonder, as I thought to myself, this changes everything. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. All right. So I had to start off with a little bit of humor here as we are deep into our celebrations of the Lord's resurrection from the dead on this Monday in the octave of Easter. Again, yes, my name is Patrick Conley and so glad that you're celebrating the resurrection of the Lord with us. Why? Because... The resurrection of Jesus Christ, unlike universal remotes from the dead, actually does change everything from the whole of the cosmos to the course of human history and right down to your personal life in the here and now. Today, this moment is changed because Jesus has risen from the dead. Now that is something worth celebrating. We're going to spend this hour talking about the glories of Christ's resurrection, what it means for us and our faith, and how to celebrate it well, even if, I should mention, we happen to be in the midst of circumstances or situations in life that are far less than celebratory. How do we celebrate the resurrection of Christ well? Joining us today as our spiritual director, first-timer, is Father Sebastian Walsh. Father Sebastian is a Norbertine canon of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California, and a professor of philosophy in the seminary program at St. Michael's Abbey. Father, welcome to the program. Good to be speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's good to be speaking with you too, Pat. Well, as we're talking about uh, this being your first time and all, why don't you just kick us off with a little bio? Tell us about yourself, Father. Sure. So um, I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. I wasn't a, a Catholic to begin with. I, my mom was Jewish, and so my brother and I were raised Jewish until I was about seven, and then she converted, became a Lutheran. So my brother and I then were baptized in the Lutheran Church, and, um, and then I eventually, through my father's side of the family, my, my dad was not a practicing Catholic, but his mom was. And so through that um, relationship there, I, I was able to become a Catholic when I was about 13 years old. And um, I got to be very uh, close friends with a really uh, big Catholic family in Pasadena, where I, where I did most of my growing up. I went to a a Catholic high school out there, Salesian High School, uh, Don Bosco Tech. And so I got very serious about my Catholic faith, but I first kind of, you know, was looking for very practical things to do at that age of my life. So I went and uh, got a degree in electrical engineering. I worked at a an intellectual property law firm for some years. And um, after that, I started to think more seriously about the faith and the truth of, of the faith. And so I decided to go back to school, this tiny little Catholic liberal arts school called Thomas Aquinas College. Yeah. And that's the first time I heard the little rumblings of a vocation in my heart. And uh, by the time I'd gone off to study philosophy at Catholic U, I was thinking about being a philosophy teacher. I, uh, I got to be good friends with a seminarian out there at Catholic University, and, and uh, he encouraged me to look into the priesthood. Uh, so that's what I did. And Back in 1998, I 
you know, joined our Abbey, and so far, so good. It's been great ever since. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a story. That's great, Father. Great to have you on the show, too. And uh, it sounds like the Lord has been actively leading and guiding for a long time. It's always great to hear people's spiritual journeys, and that's uh, it's one of the things we love to hear here on The Inner Life. We're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, today, a Norbertine canon of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California. We're talking about the resurrection. So, Father, my next question to you is, how how was the celebration of your triduum? How did it go for you? Oh, it's really great. Well, it's interesting because this year in particular, I happened to be away from the Abbey for the first time in decades because I was leading a retreat for the Triduum up at Thomas Aquinas College, my old alma mater. Yeah. And so the Triduum was beautiful up there because they always have a beautiful Triduum. They do a really good job. But normally at the Abbey, I would, normally I would be at the Abbey, and we have a, a lovely Triduum here as well. We have every morning early, we start with Tenebrae, which is a beautiful ancient uh, service that it's named after the, the, the name Tenebrae means darkness. You have all these different candles on like a, like a, what looks like a giant menorah, and they extinguish them one by one as you go through the different psalms and readings of the prayers until you get this last little candle, and that, that represents Christ. It's a very beautiful mm. um, liturgical event. And then, of course, the Holy Thursday Mass, the Good Friday Liturgy, the, and then culminating with the Easter Vigil, with beautiful chant, and, and we have a lovely, lovely church as well. So all of that has made the, the liturgy really splendid and uplifting. Well, speaking of working and the, the beauty of the Abbey and that sort of thing, I also hear you have this online apostolate called the Abbot's Circle as well. Can you tell us a yeah. little bit about that? Sure. It's kind of described as a virtual monastery, you know, that all got conceived during COVID when it was really hard for people to go to the Abbey and for us to go out to them. And we thought, well, what can we do to help reach people? And so we decided to start you know, um, recording the homilies from the priests, videotaping our liturgies, um, in particular like Paschal Vespers. <clears throat> and then um, and then also we decided, well, let's add some other content, different talks on different theological and philosophical topics by our priests. Um, and it's turned into quite a, a beautiful library and resource, an online resource for the faith. And it's very well done. I mean, they do great videography and we have, of course, a beautiful setting here at the Abbey, so it's a lovely place, and I uh, I really highly recommend it for people who are interested. I think it's just theabbotcircle.com. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at the website now. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful website. just draws you in, well put together, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. Our spiritual director today is Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine canon of the Abbey of St. Michael the Diocese of Orange, California. And he, uh, he's also author of the book, Always a Catholic, How to Keep Your Kids in the Faith for Life. And bring them back if they have strayed from Catholic Answers Press. So uh, check that out as well. Well, today, Father, we wanted to focus in, of course, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the difference that it makes in our lives. So why is the resurrection such a celebration? Why is the Easter Triduum, and specifically Easter resurrection itself, why is it the central point of our liturgical year? Well, just stop and consider um, what the world would be like if the resurrection had never happened. You know, <clears throat> Jesus came and he promised us everlasting life, right? Which is which responds to the deepest longing of the human heart. As I often say, happiness with a time limit is no happiness at all, right? The human heart longs 
to be happy forever. Mm. And the only way that's going to be possible is if we can live forever. And every other religious leader in the history of the world, whatever they taught, whatever good they had to offer, they all died and they stayed dead. <laughs> right. And, yep. and therefore, we knew that they didn't have the power to save themselves or to save us, frankly. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, after talking about life and life on high with God and his own vision of the Father and sharing that, he died and then he rose from the dead to show he had power over death. And so that meant there was a possibility of everlasting life for all of Jesus's followers. You know, no religious leader has even claimed to rise from the dead, much less successfully done it, except for Jesus Christ. And so it makes all the difference because if there's no resurrection, as St. Paul says, then we're dead in our sins. There is no hope. We have nothing but this life to live for, to hope for. So why not just eat, drink, and be merry, you know, because... There's nothing else to hope for. And um, and the resurrection changes all that, as you said. Mm-hmm. Changes everything. <laughs> yeah, it does. And that's that's one of the dismaying things, if I may say so, that uh, oftentimes it's it becomes almost passe, that we've we've heard it so often, we've seen it so many times, and that sort of thing, that we, we forget about the significance, the importance of it, the uh, centrality of it. Not just in the Catholic faith, but for all of not just Christianity, but for all of history, that uh, every it does change everything. And so, I think when we're talking about the resurrection and specifically how to celebrate it, Father, maybe the first question, practically speaking, is how do we avoid becoming passe toward the re- resurrection of Christ, especially in this Easter octave? Yeah, I think one of the the dangers of um, the, the resurrection or celebrating the resurrection, celebrating Easter, one of the dangers is, first of all, to treat it like a, some kind of secular holiday, to look forward to basically the benefits that come as a result of being off of work or school, um, to look forward to the kind of just the earthly benefits that it affords us, you know, that we're celebrating, or a time to get together with family and friends or things like that, you know. Um, all those things are good things, but none of those things are what Jesus's resurrection and Easter are about, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the first and fundamental thing we have to do in in order to celebrate Easter and the resurrection of our Lord correctly is that we need to spend time in prayer. And um, if possible, you know, there within a church, um, reflecting on the, the, the beautiful elements of the sacred liturgy we still have with us, for example, the Paschal Candle, so we need to make Easter a time of prayer and, and to understand just how essential it is to um, pray prayers of thanksgiving to God for the fact that his son has risen from the dead and he's given us life. So that's step one, make Easter a time of prayer. Another thing that has to happen is that in, we have to start living as if we're going to rise from the dead. Hmm as if Jesus really rose from the dead. I was, um, I was fortunate enough to be um, asked to do a, a right little introduction for a, a translation of a work by St. Ambrose, and it was the work on St. Ambrose was on the life of St. Sebastian. But it was also largely just a recording of the life of the first Christian community, that early community of Christians, um, of which St. Sebastian was a member. And I was amazed when I read St. Ambrose's account because it was a time 
that seems utterly unlike the modern church. Um, you know, people were being hunted down and martyred left and right, but there were also miracles happening left and right. And not only that, but when people were, were found and, and sentenced to death, they were excited about the prospect. It was an amazing thing to read. The attitude of the first Christian community was almost a longing for death because they could not wait to get to the resurrection. It was an amazing thing. And yet we spend our lives as modern Christians, like doing everything in our power to, um, to find comfort and consolation in this life, never to take any risks, never to try to evangelize people or offend people. You know, we live, practically speaking, as if Jesus had never risen from the dead or as if this life were, were nothing compared to the life that God has called us to. And, uh, and so it really is important to start living again as if Jesus has risen from the dead as if our destiny is to rise from the dead and that this life is more a dream than a reality. And, and um, we have to start living that way. Hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that we need to underscore uh, throughout. I know a lot of people obviously turn out for mass on Easter Sunday who may not regularly go to church, but uh, for those who are regular practicing Catholics, I think we need to set aside this octave and perhaps in some way set aside the entirety 50 days of the Easter season for celebration as well. So if you have a way that you celebrate the Easter season, if there's something that you do in particular to go from fasting to feasting, from the fasting of Lent to the feasting of Easter, give us a call. Tell us all about it. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email. Be happy to read those on the air. Life at relevantradio.com. We're speaking today with our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, Norbertine Cannon, and we are talking about celebrating the resurrection and doing that well. Um, what Maybe there's some insight to be gained, Father, in just focusing in on the resurrection. We've already noted that it does change everything, and you, you um, rightfully suggested, well, imagine what would have happened, or imagine what it would have been like if Jesus hadn't risen from the, risen from the dead. And we get a sense of that maybe in general, uh, but what does it mean for each of us particularly? Well, you know, if you stop and think about the the different things in an individual's life that affect their um, their disposition as they go through the day. Um, for the most part, if you're someone who um, does not have a strong faith or hope in the resurrection, even if you do believe in it kind of in principle, what happens is that you spend your, your life basically thinking about the things of this world and your joys are joys about, you know, you know, what you're going to have for lunch today <laughs> or, you know, an event you're going to do, you know, later on in the day visiting with some friends and your sorrows on the other hand, sometimes seem insurmountable because you know, if something goes wrong in your life, you have some sort of a tragedy or, you know, you're suffering from some sort of depression or whatever it is. Um, if there's no strong and real hope in the resurrection, then practically speaking, you, you, you're living in a, in a valley of darkness, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would say the key thing, the key virtue with regard to the resurrection is the theological virtue of hope. Hope has an amazing power to bring future joy and make it present. You know, take the example of a, a young woman who's been having a really tough day at work and 
her boyfriend calls and says, do you want to go to dinner? And she says, yeah. And she's about to go into a litany of all her problems at work. And he just kneels down and produces a ring and says, will you marry me? Mm. All that sorrow goes away, even though she's not even married. She might, might take her a year before she gets married. And yet hope in that young man's promise brings the future joy of a whole lifetime married into the present. And it's exactly that kind of hope that Jesus deserves from us. He deserves our hope and our gratitude and our joy. If we really have hope and and our belief is not in the promise of a fickle-hearted young man or for the sake of a lifetime of marriage, but rather the promise of truth itself, an eternal life with God's own happiness in a glorified resurrected body, Oh, I think we may have lost Father Sebastian there. We'll get him back on on the on the line here as quickly as possible as we've been speaking with he, speaking with him about specifically the resurrection of Jesus from the dead here on Monday of Easter week. I hope that you are deep in your celebrations of the Easter octave. But in the meantime, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we will get Father Sebastian Walsh back on the line. If you have a way that you have celebrated the Easter uh, season well, if you are in the midst of your celebrations now and have a unique way that you would like to share with others, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call, 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or send us an email, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll have more of the inner life and celebrating the resurrection right after this. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley, and we are talking about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead with our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, who is a Norbertine canon, and he is a professor of philosophy in the seminary program at St. Michael's Abbey. Well, Father, we lost you there for a little bit. Um, sorry about that. And uh, But you know what? I was just meditating on what you were saying about how hope takes future joy and makes it present now. And I was yes. able to rely on that kind of hope when, when you disappeared from my call screen. I thought, you know what? We're going to get him back. So there's a little mini resurrection that happened right there. <laughs> anyway. I lost, but now I'm found. That's right. So. That's right. Yes, yes. So apologies for that, Father. But um, yeah, oh, no just worries. anything so where did you want to... Where did, where did we leave off? I, I, I don't know exactly what point. Did you... Right. Did you hear the little analogy to the the proposal to the young woman or no? Yes. Yep. We heard that. We okay. heard that. And uh, yeah, you were just you were just kind of rounding off your comments about hope taking making taking future joy and making it present now. So I think gotcha. that's a, okay. A, it's a great meditation and uh, just one of the things that the resurrection I, I believe you were saying is just that's that's all about that that, that we are we are taking a future yeah. joy and making it present now. Yeah. Yeah, so we should, as you were asking about our, our daily individual lives, um, we should go around as the happiest people ever. We should be happier than a newly engaged person. We should be happier than someone who just won the lottery because we have greater goods promised to us with more certainty through the resurrection than a, than a lottery prize or a lifetime together with an imperfect human being. You know, so the truth is a Christian should go around with the greatest possible joy. And it's a disservice to Jesus if we don't have that joy, because it means that our hope is so weak in his promise. And he died for us to to um, to show just how certain his love for us is. Right. 
Right. And another thing you were saying too, Father, is that, you know, there's just the, the limitation of happiness or happiness with a, with a clock or a timer on it is not real happiness, but you know, it's something That's that right. we're created for for eternity, right? And all the more yeah. so, like you say, why we should be happier than someone who has a newly engaged couple or something like that with an imperfect mm-hmm. human being that is going to come to an end someday. Great yeah. meditations, yeah, as we're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh. If you have a way that you have incorporated this celebration of this joy, or what brings you joy? What has brought you? When was a time when you had an experience of joy in the Easter triduum, perhaps, in the Easter octave, in the Easter season of the resurrection of new life in Christ? What were the circumstances? Give us a call. Join the conversation. 888-914-9149 is our phone number. 888-914-9149. Father, you made an allusion to this, and I want to come back to it specifically. Um, You know, life is life, and there is a lot of suffering that goes on in life. Um, yes. And so you mentioned the the saints of old, especially who would um, almost joyfully, or the, not almost, they would joyfully embrace um, the threat of martyrdom because this was yes. a pathway to new life. But what about yes. in today's day and age, specifically for folks who, you know, maybe they're they're living through an unexpected death of a loved one, or they're living through a new diagnosis of a terminal illness, or some really hard circumstance of life. Where does celebration of resurrection come into those types of circumstances? Well, let me first point out, if there is no resurrection, then those difficult situations become unbearable situations. And Mm. on the other hand, if it's really true that that for for Jesus, death is no different than sleep. <laughs> then we can deal with those kinds of situations, those tragic situations. They're no more tragic than falling asleep when it comes down to it from the standpoint of God's power, you know. But um, it's interesting because Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples about the sorrow they're going to experience in advance of his death and and before his resurrection, He says, you will weep and mourn, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Mm. And before that, when he listed his Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be consoled. And the word in Greek for mourn is actually a Greek uh, penthunos, which means to shed tears over death. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. And so um, Jesus specifically is addressing those people who either have experienced the death of a loved one or are fearful of their own death Um, when he talks about that beatitude. Now think about that. Jesus doesn't say your sorrow will be taken away and replaced with joy. He actually says your sorrow will be turned into joy, as if the sorrow itself will be the very matter of the joy. And I like to give this little analogy that helps a lot of people. Let's say that you had your favorite, you know, sports team that you loved watching. You were a big fan, and and uh, your team is playing in the championship. And there's three different ways that that can turn out well for your team. Uh, the first way is that your team sprints out to a big lead. They're ahead by a lot, and they win by a blowout. Okay. That's fun, but it's great. The second way is it's a close game, and then at the end, your your team pulls out a win. That's even better because it's a close game, you know. Right. But the third way your team can win is if there is a your team is behind by a lot, seeming insurmountable odds, 
and miraculously at the end, they pull out a victory. That's the most enjoyable, satisfying win. And the very sorrow you experienced at being behind by so much got turned into joy. Well, God has arranged that all of our lives are a come-from-behind victory, you know, yeah. that, that the, the very sadness itself, the pain, the suffering, the crosses are transformed into joy in the resurrection. That's why there's no resurrection without a cross and passion beforehand. So just so I'm, I'm clear on this, Father, so what, what I'm hearing you say is not that as, as Christians, as Catholics, we, we need to put on some kind of a, of a mask if we're, if we're in the midst of some really trying life circumstances that, uh, you know, we don't need to, to fake it, so to speak, of saying that, oh, yeah, you know, but, but it's something that we can see a little bit beyond just the immediate circumstances of the sorrow. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, and um, Jesus himself, you know, shed drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, you know, pray with me because my soul is sorrowful even unto death. He showed the outward signs of his agony, you know? Right, yeah. And nevertheless, um, as St. Thomas points out, in Christ, simultaneously, there was the greatest sorrow in the lower part of his soul because of the pain of the, the passion but in the highest part of his soul, his spirit, there was the greatest joy. And it's that, it's that joy in the spirit, which while not de- destroying or eliminating the sadness in our soul, that joy in the spirit gives us a certain kind of peace, equanimity, and hope, you know, as we, as we go through those very difficult, painful, physically and emotionally painful times in our lives. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that one of the one of the great models that we have for this is in the lives of the saints. Um, we had an email come in from uh, Kathy, who's listening on either the internet or the app, and uh, she says that she's continuing this year with the story of Fatima, and uh, that that's uh, oh, yeah. one of the ways that she is is continuing to celebrate um, the Easter resurrection. What are some of the other examples that you can think of in the lives of the saints, Father, that would really spur us on to deeper celebration of the resurrection and the hope that it brings? Well, I think of uh, St. Rose of Lima, for example. Um, She was a remarkable person. She lived a very beautiful and pure, innocent life. And yet she was someone who suffered immensely, um, physically, emotionally. And in the midst of that, she actually wrote, she said, if we only knew the value of divine grace and the scales on which it is weighed, then we would spend all of our time trying to gather for ourselves pains and afflictions and troubles. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Instead of seeking honors and consolations. And um, she was someone who had her whole hope in the life to come. And she was like someone who said, if I invest a dollar now, I'll get a million dollars in the life to come. And so she invested those dollars. You know, she she um, accepted voluntarily so many penances and sufferings and so forth because she was so hopeful in the resurrection, you know. Um, and then there are, there are other saints um, who underwent, you know, very difficult uh, trials like St. Teresa of Lisieux at the end of her life, you know, how she suffered physically so much. It looked like she had something like tuberculosis, right. but at the same time was suffering emotionally from trials against the faith and so forth. And then at the very end of her life, she was um, as if she just, was suddenly transformed and radiated 
you see the picture of her right after her death, she looks like an angel, just so peaceful and joyful. So we see in the lives of the saints this constant theme of following in the footsteps of our Lord, carrying a heavy cross, bearing that cross peacefully, and then receiving the promised reward from our Lord. Beautiful, wonderful. Our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, Norbertine Cannon, and uh, of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California, and author of the book, Always a Catholic, How to Keep Your Kids in the Faith for Life and Bring Them Back if They Have Strayed from Catholic Answers Press. As we're speaking about celebrating the resurrection and uh, really bringing it to the fore of our lives, letting it produce within us the hope that God would give us through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. If you have a specific way that you have experienced that, perhaps this year or in years past, and you would like to share it, we'd love to hear from you, 888 If there is a particular saint that you rely on uh, their prayers and their prayers have produced within you uh, greater hope, greater joy. Give us a call and tell us about that relationship, 888-914-9149. Father, um, I, I think one of the things that I go back to, and uh, you know, people oftentimes will take on a particular discipline in of uh, maybe going to daily Mass or going to daily Mass once or twice a week during Lent, mm-hmm. um, but then you know Easter comes and oftentimes, I'll speak personally, I'll speak for myself, that uh, I can let those <laughs> Lenten disciplines kind of just go, you know, just say, all right, we made mm-hmm. it, we're done, you know, but... Um, but obviously, every Sunday throughout the whole of the liturgical year is kind of a mini celebration of the resurrection, the passion, yes, but also the resurrection, of course, of our Lord. Um, so yes. what are what are some liturgical ways, perhaps, that we can continue to celebrate the resurrection in this Easter season? Yes. Well, as you mentioned, every Mass is an entering into the Paschal mystery. You know, you have... Even even starting at the very beginning of the Mass, we we have, um, for example, the Gloria, which is sung by the angels, you know, about the birth of Christ, and then and then we get into the Eucharistic prayer, and and the the Passion of our Lord is made present again um, through the separation of the blood and the body, as Christ's body and blood were separated on the cross, and then the resurrection corresponds to that moment when we receive Holy Communion because it is the resurrected Christ that we receive in Holy Communion. And he himself said in John chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life within him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus connects the reception of the Eucharist with our resurrection. And uh, so every Mass is not only just a remembering or calling to mind the resurrection. It's a causally powerful means of bringing about our future resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that is. So I remember when I was a a student in college, I was dating a girl who at the time she said to me, you know, um, she was telling me about something a saint had said. Every time you receive communion worthily, your throne in heaven is raised another notch. I thought, that sounds great. So I started going to daily Mass because of that, you know. <laughs> I love it, yeah. and, uh, and that's what ended up, you know, like eventually leading to my, my priestly vocation. But it's, it's true. Every time you receive communion worthily, your throne in heaven is raised, raised higher. Mm-hmm. And um, I often say, if instead of passing out the Eucharist at daily Mass, I was passing out $100 bills, would you come to daily Mass? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. And everyone kind of laughs. They're like, huh, yeah, I would. Yeah, right. But what, it's so much more, so much yeah. more than $100 that's offered to you every daily mass. So I encourage people, you know, um, especially in the Easter season, to celebrate the resurrection through frequent reception of Holy Communion. And uh, and again, also the, sac- the, the celebration of the sacrament of confession, because that's a kind of a death and resurrection, right? You confess your sins, you so to speak die to yourself, and then after the absolution of the priest, it's like you feel raised up again. How many people tell me just how much joy and peace they feel in their heart after a good confession, you know? Mm-hmm. Those are two really wonderful ways to continue a celebration of the resurrection. Right. And great and and wonderful ways indeed of doing that liturgically in communion with the whole of the mystical body of Christ. And uh, love the reflections here that we're getting from our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh. If you have a way that you have or are celebrating the resurrection of Christ from the dead in this Easter season, uh, please give us a call. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Father, one of the things, one of the reasons I, I was uh, thinking about covering this as a topic, especially early on in the Easter season, is because, as I've already uh, intimated, that there is there is this way which I, I feel like I can, I get the Lenten fast thing. I get, you know, I, mm-hmm. I abstain from this. I don't do this. I I, uh, mm-hmm. I follow the Church's guidance on these things and add some of my own personal disciplines during Lent. But like I said, then Easter and it's like somebody flips the switch and all those things are just gone. And and then I end mm. up, I overindulge in, um, you know, whatever it would be that I gave up, you know, coffee or chocolate mm-hmm. or whatever it is that I'm, I'm doing. And then and then uh, it doesn't really produce that hope, that joy. It's just it's a temporary high. Sure. But yeah. So, again, that's one of the things I want to focus on, especially as we're talking about um, celebrating well. Why do you think it is that we Catholics, we don't know how to celebrate well? <laughs> yeah, there's this little thing called original sin, Patrick. <laughs> I've heard of that. <laughs> prevents us from from seeing reality the way it ought to be seen, especially our moral reality. So in some sense, you need to look at Lent and Easter as two sides of one coin. Mm. And the, the, the thing to understand is God gave us creatures not as a trap to ensnare our souls, but as a reflection of his goodness to move us spontaneously to the origin of that goodness, okay? As, a, as, as something that would give us reason for thanksgiving, okay? So Lent is the season when we recognize that due to original sin and our own personal fault, we have a tendency to try and replace God with creatures. We try to find happiness in food, in drink, in relationships, in the Internet, in whatever, whatever entertainment or diversion we have. And so we voluntarily give up those goods as a way of saying, no, you're not my God. You don't make me happy. So that's the first side of Lent where we look at creatures and we see their true value. They're only means to an end. Well, the flip side is after Easter and we get to partake of those goods, the idea is we're supposed to have a new relationship to them. They're no Mm -hmm. longer supposed to be our end or our happiness, but rather they're supposed to be a reflection of God's goodness. So you eat that little chocolate Easter egg (laughs) and you're supposed to think this is sweet and delightful. And that sweetness 
and peacefulness. It's only a tiny reflection of God's love for me. And then your heart's supposed to be lifted up to God through eating a little piece of chocolate, you know, or whatever it is. Every single good that you use to celebrate, every created good, sensible good, is supposed to be like a little sacrament that moves your mind spontaneously like a little springboard from creatures to God, from the participated and, and imperfect goodness to the origin of that goodness. And so that's the idea during the Easter season is that we're supposed to also be focusing all our hearts and minds on God, but now through creatures as opposed to through denying ourselves the creatures we've loved too much. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I have to tell you, Father, that in listening to that explanation, which I think is great, by the way, I love the two sides of the same coin between Lent and Easter and uh, abstaining and then uh, partaking of these goods, it's it's equally both um, challenging um, and joyful and a, a bit convicting, if, I, if I'm honest, yeah. here too, that, yeah, that uh, there is this new relationship with these created goods, and uh, that's what's supposed to lift us beyond the goods of yes. creation to the Creator, the ultimate good of the Creator himself. Great words from our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, Norbertine Canon of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California. We're talking today about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, especially here on Monday of Easter week of the Easter octave. Uh, if you have ways that you are celebrating Easter, celebrating the resurrection from the dead, whether that be in some profoundly spiritual ways or some for some very basic practical ways, we'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Our email address is also innerlife at relevantradio.com. Got to take another short break, but we'll be back with more right after this. Stay with us. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. My name is Patrick Conley. Thank you for joining us. My thanks go out to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Cyrus Simcoe, fielding some of your phone calls as they're coming in. Grateful, too, to our spiritual director, Father Sebastian Walsh, Norbertine Canon of the Abbey of St. Michael in the Diocese of Orange, California, and professor of philosophy in the seminary program at St. Michael's Abbey as well. Father, uh, it occurs to me that uh, maybe, well, of course, I mean, the promise is there of the resurrection. It's what we're talking about today, the resurrection of, of the Lord and how that uh, brings hope, how it takes a future joy and makes it present now, as you said. Um, any mm -hmm. saints that have actually experienced the resurrection in that way? Yes. Um, the one that we know with certitude about is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Sure. We believe that, that at the end of her life, that um, she was bodily resurrected and then brought bodily to heaven, which is what we confess as Catholics in the dogma of Our Lady's assumption into heaven. So she's already there with Jesus. That's a really beautiful thing to think of. But there's another lesser known um, case that uh, many saints, including some popes, have advocated for, and that is that St. Joseph also experienced his bodily resurrection. Huh. Now, there's some evidence for that. In St. Matthew's Gospel, it says that there were some who, after Jesus' resurrection, came forth from the tombs 
and appeared in the holy city. Yeah. So there's a strange passage in Matthew that talks about that, huh? And um, and there's a beautiful prophetic anticipation of St. Joseph's resurrection. When you get to the, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple in the, in the uh, Gospel of Luke, notice this. Um, that happens. Jesus is found in the temple um, in Jerusalem after the Passover. They're searching for him in, for sorrow for three days. They find him teaching in his father's house. And then when they look for him, when they find him, he says, why were you seeking me? Look at all those elements. Jesus, um, he, his Paschal mystery would take place in Jerusalem after the Passover. His yeah. mother would be searching for him in sorrow for three days. During those three days, St. Peter tells us he went down among the dead and was teaching them. And guess who would have been there among the dead? St. Joseph, mm. which is why it's, it's prof- prophetically announced as his father's house. Purgatory would have been at that point, or, or limbo would have been his father's house. And then the, the idea of the reunion of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph together um, at the end, after the finding of the child Jesus in the temple, seems to prophetically anticipate the possibility of St. Joseph being reunited with Mary and Jesus at Jesus' resurrection, and that Matthew was sort of hinting at that in his gospel. So it's a beautiful little scriptural reflection that may be sort of hidden there in the scriptures. There's a little testimony to St. Joseph's bodily resurrection. I wrote a whole book on St. Joseph, and I I give the whole more extended argument for that, but that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Love it. Love it. I, I, that's, that's new to me. And I'm, uh, now you've got me contemplating, meditating, hopefully on some of that. I'm going to have to go back and search those scriptures myself. Thank you, Father. Our spiritual director sure. is Father Sebastian Walsh, Norberton Canon at the Abbey of St. Michael. And uh, Father, let's take a phone call. We've got Richard who's called in from Phoenix, Arizona. Richard, welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling. Thank you for having such a great show. I, sure. I, I wanted to share how I, uh, how I brought uh, the message of the resurrection to my kids and grandkids. I have six grandkids here at ranging ages 4 to 11. And um, so we had the kids there. We we're having a, having an Easter experience and everything together, and had my my kids and their and their wives and everybody. My 92 year old mom. Anyway, it, it just struck me. Let's do this a little differently. So I I said, okay, it's prayer time, and they all gathered up, and I said, now you know how the Lord's prayer starts, and our Father who is in heaven, right? And they said, yeah, okay. So I'm. So what am I with respect to the family? And somebody said, you're a father. I said, that's right. What else am I? You're a grandfather. There you go, grandfather and father, right? So you know what my job is as a father and grandfather? And I picked up two big group photos we had of everybody, the big group photos, and I held them up and I said, you know these people, right? These are the people whom I love. These are the people who I protect. And you know what? If I have to die to protect you against the bad guy, that's what I do, but I do it with joy. That's my job, and it's my joy to protect you against the bad guy. That's what God did with Jesus. He sent Jesus to fight the bad guy. He died, but he won. He <laughs> beat death. He beat the bad guy. And that's, <laughs> that's what the resurrection beautiful. proves. Yes, I hope I've made a really good impression on your kids and grandkids to have that sense, first of all, of your love for them, but also to understand how a father's love is uh, is only a faint image of God's love for us. Mm. 
It's a wonderful reflection, Richard, and I thank you for the insight there, too. That's a, that's a great way of making the resurrection promises of what Jesus is accomplishing for us on the cross and in his rising from the dead, present to an entire family. I can kind of picture it in my head, and I love that. And uh, being together with family and being uh, celebrating the time of, with people, maybe it's family that we don't often see or we don't often have gathered around a dinner table. Um, that can certainly be a way of celebrating the resurrection from the dead. Father, what do you think, based on Richard's phone call, what do you think are maybe some good tips for for, uh, families, even if since Easter Sunday has already passed, other things that families might do throughout this Easter season to celebrate the resurrection? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, You know, one thing that's a really wonderful thing to do for families together is to pray together and to read the scriptures together. Um, You know, if, if you are someone who especially as a, the leader of the family, like the father and the husband. If you are someone who is a man of prayer and a man of faith and, and you have strong faith in the scriptures, that will impress your children more than you know. I've seen that over and over again. Wherever you have a family with a very strong leader in the faith, uh, especially the husband and the father, that the children are deeply impressed by that. So a wonderful thing that families could do when, to, when they're together is not just have a meal together and have a wonderful conversation, but at some point have a really important prayerful moment, you know, a, you know, a, a time of, you know, 10 or 15 minutes where the whole family's together to talk about the real meaning of Easter, right? And you could sit down and read an account in one of the gospels of, of the resurrection and, and then talk to your family and just ask each one of them, you know, questions about what that means to them and whether or not they have hope in the resurrection, you know, just a little thing like that, 10 or 15 minutes would transform your, your family gathering from something that was just secular and fun into something that was deeply and profoundly an act of faith and hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great uh, conversation just to have with, and and that's that's an answer that uh, almost at least all ages can. Or that's a question that almost all all ages can answer as well. Uh, I think Keith has a similar question. He's calling in from San, San Clement, California. Oh, we just lost him. Sorry about that, Father. We just oh. lost Keith. But he was asking something similar. He was saying uh, something along the lines of, "How can I celebrate the resurrection well?" Um, with my with my family and experience it in my life personally. Um, so mm. based on what, I mean, you were just given some great tips, Father. Any thoughts specifically for Keith's question, experiencing the resurrection personally? Yeah. Well, you know, to the extent that um, St. Thomas makes a really interesting observation. He says, to the extent that the human heart um, occupies itself with some object of love, to that extent it excludes others. And so, you know, one thing to do in order to personally experience a resurrection is to be very deliberately not putting hope and living as if you're hoping in something of this world, you know? And so um, it's important for, for example, um, if you're someone who has, you know, a fair amount of money, for example, not to think to yourself, you know, what can I buy and get some nice things, a big, you know, a nice, nicer car, or a big, nice vacation or something like that. And instead stop and ask yourself, you know, what can I do with this for the glory of God? Can I just let go of this 
earthly reality because my treasure is in heaven, you know, and, and, and put treasure in heaven. So then making that act of generosity, giving it to the poor, helping someone else, um, that's an act of faith and hope that then allows you to experience through that very faith and hope that you, you did uh, in that act and a way of experiencing the resurrection, right? Your hope that one day um, the things of this life will no longer be there for you, but you certainly will have the goods of a life to come. Mm-hmm. Well, great advice. And uh, Father, maybe just in the in the last couple minutes here of the program, if I can ask you just to uh, just to remind us, you started off with saying that kind of rule number one is a life of prayer. Any specific practical tip on how we might uh, we increase our prayer in this re- resurrection season, the season of Easter? Yes. Well, obviously, the the most important prayer after the Mass itself is the Rosary. Our Lady, she comes everywhere she comes, wherever she appears, she asks us to say the Rosary. And uh, right now it's the season of the glorious mysteries of the Rosary. So that is the the best single way of praying um, together with Our Lady, together with Our Lord, meditating upon the events of His uh, resurrection and His glorification. So that's one thing right there. Another thing we can do, a beautiful thing, is we can practice mental prayer. And um, and that means taking some time aside, quiet time, where we're away from the crowd, where we don't have any obligations. We put our phones away, and we spend 10 or 15 minutes in the presence of the Lord, uh, maybe having, for example, a book of the Gospels with us, and and meditating upon an event of the life of Christ and, and in this season, especially to read about his resurrection and to sit there and imagine yourself as if you were there. You're one of the apostles in the upper room, you know, one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know. Yeah, and to hear those words from our Lord, peace be with you. Well, Father, thank you so much for being our spiritual director today on The Inner Life. Before we let you go, though, may we have a blessing from you, please. Amen. Indeed. Father Sebastian Walsh has been our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life, talking about celebrating the resurrection. And one of the great ways I think we can celebrate the resurrection is to tell somebody about it. Tell somebody that there is hope. There's hope to be had in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow here on The Inner Life about how we share the greatest news ever. Coming up next, though, Father Mark Melezova has the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And if you're going to pray the Rosary, why not pray with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central, the Family Rosary Across America. Until next time, grace and peace.